One. When I'm working out, I love to listen to your podcast. Whenever you say something, other people react to it. Taking my breath away, Aaron. Fern Lundquist joins me. Hall of Famer. Jim Calhoun, NASCAR icon Dale Earnhardt Jr. Kirk Herbstreet is on the phone. It is Monday, February 22nd, 2021, people. I hope everybody had a great weekend, and I hope you guys enjoyed some college hoops. Really busy, fun, action-packed weekend on the court, off the court. We are going to break it all down. Here is a quick rundown of what this show today will look like. We will start with the Ohio State-Michigan game on Saturday. Game of the year, no doubt. lot to peel back from that one as I continue to be more and more impressed by Juwan Howard in Michigan. We will then transition to that kind of crazy Chris Mack video that went viral on Saturday night. He's poking the bear that is Kentucky after that Louisville win. We'll talk a little bit about the video, what it means, all that good stuff. And of course, on top of that, we will then, I think, transition very briefly to the Kentucky win over Tennessee. I know people get mad at me for saying it. I really do think this could be a team that nobody wants to see in Nashville, Kentucky, of course, beating Tennessee, LSU, and Florida already. They played Arkansas tough, maybe could have won that game, played Alabama tough, maybe could have beaten them in the second game. I think Kentucky's trending in the right direction, guys. Probably take a quick break. We will then from there talk Duke. Crazy weekend. Jalen Johnson leaves. They play their best basketball. And I do kind of want to peel back some of the layers from this weekend as Jim Beheim got involved, Jay Billis got involved. And I think there is a broader conversation. I know we're kind of tired of talking Jalen Johnson. I do think there is a broader conversation that needs to be discussed about the entire discourse of this entire conversation. Before we get started, I want to remind everybody, please make sure that you are subscribed to the Aaron Torres Sports Podcast. Here in late February and early March, we are throwing a few of these episodes onto the KSR feed. So if you're hearing me for the first time or for the first time in a long time on the KSR feed, make sure to find my personal feed, Aaron Torres Podcast. Go ahead and subscribe there. Rate and review the show. Go ahead, give us a quick five stars. Make sure you're following on social media at Aaron underscore Torres on Twitter, at Aaron Torres pod on Instagram. And what I would also say, and I say it always this time of year, if you are interested in sponsoring, it's obviously going to be a busy, busy six or so weeks heading into March Madness and the NCAA tournament. If you are interested in being a sponsor for the Aaron Torres Sports Podcast, we actually have a new sponsor I'll be telling you about in a little bit, but March is going to be busy. If you want your product or audience to reach a lot of people, you can reach out to me at Aaron Torres Podcast Questions at gmail.com. I will forward it to the appropriate people and maybe we can get things rolling, get you to be a sponsor of the Aaron Torres Sports Podcast. But with that said, people, let's get into the weekend. There is no more time to waste. And in my opinion, we got ourselves the best game of the college basketball season on Sunday, Michigan, Ohio State. Michigan came into the game ranked number three. Ohio State came into the game ranked number four. And first and foremost, before we get into the game itself, let me just say this. Thank you, Michigan. Thank you, Ohio State. And, and here is why. Because, look, you guys know anyone who has listened to this show, if this is the first time, the 10th time, the 100th time, the 357th time you've listened to this show, you guys know that I have a passion and a love for all college sports. But really, college hoops has always been my bread and butter. Growing up in Connecticut, it's what I love. It's what I do. I think about it 365 days of the year. I'm talking transfer portal in April, all that good stuff. But as I've said a few times, and I talked with Nick Coffey about it uh, the other day, it's been really hard to wrap your arms around this college basketball season, and I think it's been for two extreme reasons. Gonzaga and Baylor are really, really, really good. Their games, frankly, aren't even that competitive. And so while you can enjoy the greatness of Gonzaga and Baylor, it is a little frustrating to turn on a Gonzaga. I don't know if frustrating is the right word, but you turn on a Gonzaga game and it's 22 to 2, four minutes in, and you're like, this is over. I'm not watching this. And I say that as somebody who loves college basketball. Baylor, much the same. Every single game that they have played has been by 
they've won by at least eight points. And then on the opposite side of the spectrum, the teams that we usually love watching, Duke, Kentucky, North Carolina, Michigan State, Kansas, for the most part have struggled this year. Now, credit to, frankly, all of them individually because they all seem to be hitting their stride late in the season. But I bring this up because all of the marquee games all season long that we circled on our calendars that we couldn't wait to watch haven't really lived up to the hype, whether it's Gonzaga-Kansas on opening night, Kansas-Kentucky in the Champions Classic, Michigan State-Duke in the Champions Classic, uh, whoever. We have not gotten a lot of great games in college hoops this year, and so I want to start by thanking Michigan and Ohio State, two highly ranked teams, for coming in and just giving us a fun, competitive, awesome game right down to the wire two teams that were not only good but genuinely do not like each other the rivalry is real I think both sides respect each other but you saw the coaches chirping at each other in between uh you know when, when there was some controversial plays and things of that nature and so not only did we get two really good teams but they both played at an insanely high level if you watch this game it was just shot-making and playmaking, the likes of which we frankly haven't seen in college basketball this year. And that was one thing that actually stood out to me. We have two of the elite defensive teams in college basketball. Michigan specifically shoots 30, or holds opponents to 37% shooting, number two in the country coming into this year. Ohio State shoots 53% from the field. Ohio State holds opponents under 41%. Michigan State shoots, or Michigan, excuse me, shoots 50% from the field. And so more than anything, more than any big individual takeaway, you know me, I don't break down games and moments and this and that. Just thank you, Michigan, Ohio State, because you gave us a great game in a season that we were just waiting for. And this was one back and forth, like I said, playmaking down to the wire. I know the final score was 92 to 87, but anybody who watched this game knows that it was an awesome, 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 really, really fun game itself. In terms of the results, I, I don't know, what, what, what can you say? These are two really good teams that played really well at a really high level. Sometimes coming out of a game, you feel like, okay, this definitively says this about one team, right? Like, like coming out of the, let's just use Gonzaga, Kansas to open the season. You came out of that game with real major takeaways. You said, man, Gonzaga is really, really, really good. And you also kind of said, you know what? Kansas might not be that good this year. When Duke played Michigan State and Illinois, he kind of came away and said, you know what, Duke really stinks this year. And with this game, there, I don't believe that there is some major takeaway. Just because Ohio State lost, it doesn't mean that they're not an incredible program, an incredible team this season, and a national championship contender. And certainly it doesn't mean the same for Ohio. It doesn't, it doesn't change for Michigan either because they're awesome, and we've known they're awesome. And so when I look at the big picture, I guess what I would say is this. I've been telling you since January just how good Michigan is. And so if you're asking me for, for my biggest takeaway, it's kind of what I've been telling you for whatever, eight weeks now. I went back and looked at it. The first time I talked about Michigan basketball on this podcast was January 6th after they won against Minnesota by 25 at home. At that point in the season, Minnesota was ranked in the top 25 nationally. Michigan stomps them, and I say, you got to watch out for this Michigan team. And really, nothing has changed since then. They have one loss the entire season. That was in the follow-up game at Minnesota a few weeks later. But if you look at what this team is doing, it is incredible. 16-1 overall. 11-1 and one in the Big Ten, which to me is unquestionably the toughest conference in college basketball. And what might be the most impressive thing about Michigan is this. They get shut down for a month for a COVID pause, and they bounce back and come back, and they don't even miss a single beat. It was unbelievable. You look at this team. They don't play for a month. They can't practice for three weeks. They come out of that pause, immediately go to Wisconsin last week, who is a top 25 team, at least as we record here on Sunday, beat Wisconsin. Then they go home, beat Rutgers, another NCAA tournament team. Then they go on the road and beat number four, Ohio State. In the bigger picture, let me just reiterate what I have told you all along about Juwan Howard, and that is that this guy, and I talked about this a few episodes ago, if you remember, I was telling you, why should you watch the NCAA tournament if your team stinks? If you're a Duke fan, a Michigan State fan, a Kentucky fan, 
all three of those teams will almost certainly have to win their conference tournaments to make the NCAA tournament. And one of the reasons is I think we have that next wave of coaches that we are going to get to see in this tournament and maybe have them featured in this tournament, whether it is Chris Holtman at Ohio State, whether it is Nate Oates at Alabama, and whether it is Juwan Howard at Michigan. When I look at this game, this is a microcosm for what I have been saying for probably three, four months now. What Juwan Howard has done this year at Michigan is just flat out incredible, okay? Think about Juwan Howard, who he is and where he came from. Juwan Howard, an incredible NBA player, 20-plus years in the league, goes uh, from player to assistant coach with Eric Spolstra, and then comes down to the college level. And we have seen so many guys from the NBA level struggle to transition to the college level because, as I've told you many times, it is a really, really hard job and a really, a really big grind different than the NBA. Think about it. The NBA, it's all basketball all the time. You don't deal, you know, the general manager deals with contracts, the general manager deals with agents. You get to show up and coach and you leave and you watch film and you do all that stuff. And then when the season's over, you basically go to the Bahamas for three months if you want. You have nothing that you're obligated to do outside of a couple weeks of draft prep, basically from the beginning, middle, end of May, depending on when your season ends, until the beginning, middle of October. Change that with college basketball, and you come down, you got to recruit, you got to re recruit your players, you're dealing with transfers, you're dealing with parents, you're dealing with mom and dad. And so it is not a secret that a lot of guys that have come from the NBA level have struggled. Chris Mullen did not get the job done at St. John's. Patrick Ewing has struggled to a degree at Georgetown. I think they're playing well, but he has struggled. Uh, whoever, there's, there's tons of other examples. I think Mark Price, the former NBA All-Star, he was a college coach for a while. You go on and on and on and on and on. It is not an easy adjustment coming down from the NBA level and starting in college basketball when you have no college basketball experience. It's different for like a Fred Hoiberg or Billy Donovan. If Billy Donovan ever comes back, I'm not talking about guys that were in college, went to the NBA and came back. I'm talking about guys that spent their entire careers in the NBA. It is a major adjustment to come back down to the college level. So with that in mind, think about what Juwan Howard has done in 18 months or whatever it is, 20 months as the head coach at Michigan. He, first of all, he gets the job super late in mid-May. He immediately comes in, establishes himself as a recruiting force, goes out, signs five-star prospects. The kid Hunter Dickinson, who was a star for Michigan on Saturday night or, or Sunday afternoon, excuse me, he was a five-star kid, McDonald's All-American that pretty much could have gone just about anywhere. He chose Michigan because of Juwan Howard, 22 points, nine rebounds for the Wolverines. On top of that, never forget, Michigan also signed the kid Isaiah Todd, who elected to go to the G League. They nearly had Josh Christopher. They also have signed the number one recruiting class in the class of 2021. So this is a guy with no recruiting experience at all that came down and has had immediate success recruiting. He has had immediate success, by the way, transitioning to the transfer portal. Two of Michigan's five or six best players were transfers this year. Mike Smith, the guard from uh, Columbia, Chandy Brown, the wing from Wake Forest. And I just look at, at that alone, and it's incredible, his ability to find talent, identify talent, and get talent. There are guys that have been in college basketball for 20 years that when they lose a recruit can't immediately figure out a way to get it done in the transfer portal to, to, to shape up the roster. That's exactly what this guy did. He also, on top of that, got the guys that were already in the program to buy into what he was doing. And I think that might be the most underappreciated thing that he has done. Talk to coaches. I think I've, I've talked to a million on this show. When you come in and nobody knows you, it is hard to get guys to believe in what you're saying and what you're doing. And I would take it a step further. In many ways, it's harder to take over a good team and a good program than a bad program. When you take over a bad program, you can come in and say, nothing you guys have done has worked, and this is why we're going to do it my way. Well, imagine coming into a program like Michigan that a year before he got there had made a Final Four, had played for a national championship, and saying, hey, we're going to do it my way. And so his ability to recruit, to use the transfer portal, to get his players to buy in, and then to coach the heck out of them. It is unbelievable how well he's been able to do this, especially in a pandemic. And so the reason I have no major, like, major, major takeaway on the Michigan perspective of this game is because I've been telling you, this guy's a stud for a long, long, long time. 
That hasn't changed. Nothing has changed. And I'm just telling you, I think Michigan is on that Baylor-Gonzaga tier, and this did nothing to change that opinion of mine. I will say their schedule does get pretty tough from here on out. They still have Iowa. They still have Illinois. Then how about a back-to-back with Michigan State to close the season? Obviously, Michigan State isn't good, but that's a big rivalry. But that's just my biggest takeaway. This is what I've been telling you Juwan Howard is about. The guy is a superstar in this sport, and I cannot wait to watch him continue to grow and this Michigan basketball program continue to grow because I think in a sport where Coach K is 70, Jim Beheim 70, Roy Williams is 70, we need some young, fresh blood in this sport, and Juwan Howard delivers it. As far as Ohio State's concerned, listen, I'm just going to tell you point blank, and I've said it and I continue to say it, I can't get worked up about Ohio State losing by five points at home to the number three team in the country. I mean, never forget, this was a team that coming into this game had won seven straight games against some of the best teams in college basketball. I would add that the, the last loss that they had before this game was the that crazy Purdue game where they basically led on up until the final 30 seconds of the game And so when I look at Ohio State, I'm sorry that I can't get worked up that a team that's basically won 9-10 games in a row just happened to lose a game uh, to a team that was just simply on that day better than them. What I would say is in the bigger picture, I do still think Ohio State, listen, Ohio State can win the national championship. I'm just telling you right now, I don't think they're the favorites. I would put Michigan ahead of them. Obviously, Baylor-Gonzaga, we'll talk about some other teams momentarily, but Ohio, like Ohio, it's not like there's a big like, oh my God, Ohio State's in trouble because they lost by five to to the number. Th- no, they're really good. They're really talented. I think they got a little sloppy late. Obviously, that behind the back pass when they were down 77-74, uh, for people who didn't see it, one of their star players, Justice Suing, threw a behind the back pass. The players that were supposed to get it did not realize Ohio State was down three, Michigan State steals it, gets a layup in an and one, it becomes 82-74, and just like that, the game is over. But in the again, I, I keep saying bigger picture, but I think that's all I can do is contextualize what we saw on Sunday, and what we saw on Sunday was a team that, as I said, I believe can win it all. I love their depth, their versatility, basically their top eight guys can get you buckets at any given time, any day of the, you know, any game They have seven, eight guys that can get you 15, 18, 20 points. Dwayne Washington, for people who were watching Ohio State for the first time on Sunday, he, I believe, is an All-American candidate. Guard uh, Derek Fisher's nephew, Dwayne Washington, really, really talented player. EJ Liddell, their big guy, played really well. And as I said, this is why we love sports. This is why we watch sports. Because sometimes you just have two really good teams that get on the court or the field or the ice and one of them's got to win, and one of them's got to lose, and that is what happened with Ohio State on Saturday, on Sunday. Doesn't change how I feel about Ohio State. Last thought on this game, and it has nothing to do with either team, but it kind of does. My last thought is just very simply this. I mentioned I think Ohio State, Michigan, all that can win a national championship. Let me just say this. I know that we all love the upsets in March, but I think that this game more than ever made me realize and made me appreciate, like, you know what? Maybe we keep the upsets to the side this year because, let me, let me explain. I, we all love the upsets. They're fun. They're interesting. They're different. They blow up your bracket. You know, you get, to, you get a little clout in the office. Oh, I picked that 14 seed to beat that three seed. I'm amazing. It's fun. It's cool. It's what makes the bracket the bracket, the tournament the tournament, etc. But what I would also say is that at the end of the day, I've always been a guy, I want the best teams to play on the biggest stages of the sport. And so, like, just as an example, with the college football playoff, everyone always says, I want chaos, give me chaos. I'm like, I don't. I want Ohio State Clemson. I want Alabama Notre Dame. If Notre Dame loses, I want Texas A&M. Like, I want the best teams playing for the biggest stakes. And when I look at this college basketball season, what I would say is this. Upsets are great. They're fun. They make your bracket. But this year, there is very clearly, I think, a top five, top six, top four, whatever you want to say, where I just think we're talking Gonzaga, we're talking Baylor, we're talking Ohio State, we're talking Michigan. I would include Illinois the way that they're playing right now, maybe one or two other teams. But I do think that there is a very clear top tier in this sport, and I'm sorry, I want those teams to get there. Watching Michigan-Ohio State, 
I want that in the Big Ten championship game. I want them to be number one seeds and play in the Final Four. I want to see how Michigan would handle Baylor or how Baylor would handle Ohio State or how Illinois would handle Gonzaga or what would happen if, God willing, we got Baylor and Gonzaga in the national championship game. I bring all this up to just very simply say that I do believe that while the upsets are great, this is the one year. Keep the upsets at home this year. We didn't get a tournament last year. I want the best teams on the biggest stages playing the best games. And I do think that Sunday is a potential preview of just what we could get in the NCAA tournament if we get these best teams playing. All right, so I do want to get to that crazy Chris Mack video. But before I do, I want to welcome in our newest sponsor, Bracket Fanatics. Here's the deal, guys. March Madness is coming, and we're all going to be filling out a bracket, but what is the most annoying part of the whole process? Well, besides when a 15 seed upsets your national champion in round one, it's all the hard work that comes with running a bracket pool. We all know how it goes. This guy didn't pay. This person's going to pay in a week. You're tallying points at 2 a.m., too much work if you ask me. That's why I'm glad to welcome in Bracket Fanatics as our sponsor these next few weeks. Bracket Fanatics and BracketFanatics.com is a true social networking app unlike anything that you've ever used. Once you log in and set your pool, everybody pays there so you're not chasing down doors from accounting or your college roommate. And on top of the fact that everybody pays in one place, there's also a bunch of other cool features. You can make individual one-on-one -on -one bets with friends. You can talk smack all in one place, all at BracketFanatics.com. Then when the tournament is over, Bracket Fanatics will automatically distribute funds to winning players based on the points earned and payouts set by the commissioner. On top of that, unlike some of the competitors, there are no banner ads and Bracket Fanatics won't sell your information or email to advertisers. This is the perfect app for March, and to get started, this is what you need to do. Assemble your crew and sign up now at BracketFanatics.com. That is BracketFanatics.com. And don't forget to use the code TORRES to be entered to win their $1,000 giveaway award at the end of the tournament to the player or bracket with the most wins throughout the dance. Only those who use the code will be entered. Once again, pull up your favorite browser, visit BracketFanatics.com, and make sure when you sign up, use the promo code TORRES. All right, really quickly, I do want to transition to what kind of became like a crazy, wild, viral story in the college basketball world on Saturday night. I don't know how many of you even may have seen it, may not have seen it, but on Saturday night, my buddy Drew Franklin, Kentucky Sports Radio, gets this video and releases this video on Twitter of Chris Mack, the Louisville coach, basically going full-on WWE promo with former Louisville football player Eric Wood. And as a little backstory, the two teams played on December 26th. It was a fun, hard-fought game, and Louisville won. And so apparently after the game, there was a video taken by somebody who was a friend of the program or whatever with Louisville coach Chris Mack and with Eric Wood, the Louisville former, uh, you know, I don't know if he was an All-American, but really good player played in the NFL, and basically, they're just going after John Calipari and, and, and Kentucky and everything. Uh, essentially, what it boiled down to was Eric Wood uh, was saying, uh, uh, you know, that Kentucky can't win without Kenny Payne. For people who don't know who Kenny Payne is, Kenny Payne was a very, very, very well-respected coach that was at Kentucky for about the last decade or so. In the offseason, he went to the New York Knicks. He was believed to be Kentucky's best recruiter, Kentucky's best player developer, especially for big guys. He was the guy that was kind of the good cop to John Calipari's bad cop. And when Kentucky was really struggling this year, one of the things that popped up was how much does Kentucky actually miss this guy, Kenny Payne? Well, fast forward, we get this video on Saturday night, basically Eric Wood going off saying Kentucky can't win without Kenny Payne. They're 0 for 1 against Kenny Payne. They're 0 for the century again without him. And they will never beat Louisville again. And again, to be clear, this video appears to have been taped the day that Louisville and Kentucky played. And the reason that it's relevant is because Chris Mack, the Louisville coach, is in the background essentially just kind of egging the guy on, right? Like, like he's kind of like, yo, you're crazy, you're crazy, and he's pulling him back, holding him back. 
and it looks like a great WWE video, but it comes out on Saturday night, and it frankly became a really big story in the college basketball media. Have not talked to Drew Franklin. Don't know how he got the video, but it was incredible, and it came out about two, two and a half, three months after the game, whatever it was, and now we got a little mini pseudo controversy on our hands here. What I would say is I do want to talk about this because I think it's a fun topic. First off, you know, I, I'll just let me just defend Chris Mack for half a second. I hate this world that we live in where people have these super these, these moments in their lives and everything, somebody has to pull out a video camera, not video camera, but a phone camera. Everybody has to document it. Everybody has to put it on video and it's supposed to be private and it doesn't remain that way. I hate that we can't just have a moment in time where we celebrate. Louisville, listen, I know we got a lot of Kentucky fans that listen. Louisville is allowed to celebrate beating your rival no matter how ugly it was, no matter how sloppy it was, no matter the fact that Kentucky probably should have won that game. Louisville's allowed to celebrate it, and so I hate that somebody had to pull out the camera and then that that video gets leaked. What I would also say is, I don't know that it's the greatest look for Chris Mack. I'm not going to sit here and, oh, he shouldn't have done it. He shouldn't have done it. I mean, I don't. he obviously didn't think the video was going to get out, and it didn't get out for three months. But what I would also say is, like, it, it, like I don't blame him for, for being excited. I also don't know that it was the greatest look for him either. I'm not going to get on my high horse and say, oh, you know, what is he thinking? What is he doing? What I will tell you is, as a guy who is one one-thousandth the public figure that Chris Mack is, and that's being very nice, I do think when you are a pseudo-public figure, and Chris Mack, again, is, is way, 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 way more important than I am, because I know I'll have a Louisville fan saying, oh, Torres thinks he's as important as Chris Mack. No, I'm a nobody. But what I also know is when I'm doing something that is supposed to be kept in the privacy of my own home, I don't want somebody pulling out their phone and documenting it, because I know that once that person hits record, there is at least the possibility that it could get out. So I will say, like, if I was Chris Mack, what I probably would have done is what I do whenever my boys or my friends or whatever bring out a, a video and we're doing something stupid and I'm kind of like, ah, I probably shouldn't be in this video. You know, you kind of hide it in the background and you kind of hide your face. And you say, bro, you're crazy. Stop it. You know, whatever. Like, like when the phones come out, you kind of, again, I can't criticize Chris Mack. He was celebrating. But I do think as a public figure, it probably wasn't the smartest thing to kind of egg them on and jump on them because again once somebody hits record there is always the possibility that that video will get out but I will say in the bigger picture and this is why it's important and this is why I wanted to bring up this topic I think this is great for the Louisville Kentucky basketball rivalry because it's really interesting and I talked about this a little bit a few months back when the video came out of the uh, of Chris Mack, that one was not leaked. That one was was done on purpose. But when Chris Mack put out the video having to do with the schedule and the Kentucky-Louisville game and should, should we have to play in Louisville without any fans in the stands, I talked about this, but I think it's worth reiterating here, is that I do think that when Chris Mack got to Louisville, there was some big-time fear that the, the, the hate and angst and fire in the Louisville-Kentucky rivalry, which I believe is the best in college basketball, by far, with respect to Duke, North Carolina, whoever, Kentucky-Louisville is the biggest, most intense rivalry in college basketball. When Chris Mack got to Louisville, I think there was this big thought that the, the rivalry was going to not die, but the intensity of it would die. Because if you go back to before Chris Mack, never forget, there was genuine hatred from all sides in that Louisville-Kentucky rivalry. John Calipari genuinely hated Rick Pitino. Rick Pitino genuinely hated John Calipari. Kentucky fans, of course, hated Rick Pitino, the guy who coached their team to a national championship in 1996, then leaves and then comes back on the other side of the rivalry. Louisville fans genuinely hated John Calipari because he continued to beat them. And I think there was a fear that when Chris Mack got there, the, the, the anger and the fire in this rivalry was going to die. And I do think for the first year or so, that was the case. I mean, listen, I had Chris Mack on this podcast, and I hate to brag, but I had a pretty viral moment with him where I asked him about John Calipari and the rivalry. This was after his first year, and Coach Mack couldn't have been nicer and more complimentary of John Calipari. And 
I'm not some pop psychologist, but I genuinely believe that he meant every single word that he said when he said it. And so when I look at this entire situation, when I look at Chris Mack first with the scheduling thing uh, back in whatever it was, September, October, and now this, the one thing I can say is I love it because it very clearly has restoked the fire in this rivalry. It very clearly means that, you know what? If you thought that everybody was going to play nice, think again. And on top of that, if you thought, and I, I haven't talked to Coach Mack since probably, frankly, I did the podcast, I'm starting to get the genuine sense that he does not like John Calipari. If you watch that video about all the scheduling to do, you could tell that he was upset that he felt like Calipari went behind his back to ESPN to try to get some games moved so that the Louisville-Kentucky game would be played at whatever time. He was not happy. You could tell in that video he was not happy. And you could tell in this video that he genuinely enjoys beating Kentucky, that he genuinely enjoyed that moment in time. And by the way, again, in his defense, it's a rivalry. He should enjoy it. But I can tell you, it seems as though he does not like John Calipari. You know this is going to upset Coach Cal. And I would just say I think this is great for this rivalry going forward. We weren't sure. Was there good blood? Was there bad blood? Did they hate each other enough? Oh, there's some real bad blood, and I can't actually, frankly, wait to see what happens over the next week because you know Chris Mack is going to come out. I think he has a press conference Monday. I saw the president said that, or I think it was the AD said that he would let Chris Mack address it on Monday. You know Chris Mack is going to come out and say, yeah, you know, whatever. I mean, it was said in jest. Phone wasn't supposed to be on. We were having a good time, whatever. But what I'll also say is Calipari is going to play dumb, and, oh, I haven't even seen the video. I don't even know. You know John Calipari, the competitor that he is, there is going to be a fire burning in his stomach for the next six, eight, nine months until he gets Louisville on the court again. Obviously, next year the game will be at Rupp Arena, and I think this is the best thing that happened to this rivalry. couple quick notes from the weekend that was before. What we're going to do is I'll talk a little about the Louisville-North Carolina game, Kentucky-Tennessee, and then I will break and then get to Jalen Johnson and Duke because I, I, I just want to wrap that story up it appears as though uh, there was like a new twist with Jim Beheim and Jay Billis this weekend, so I want to talk about that, get to some other results from the weekend. But let's wrap uh, this segment by very briefly talking about the actual games on the court themselves involving those two teams. Listen, Louisville, I know there's a lot of Kentucky fans that listen. Louisville, I know you want to crush them because they lost to, to North Carolina by a million points. I just can't do it. It's their first game off COVID pause, and as I said, I, I don't... One, Louisville still appears to be a tournament team to me. And two, North Carolina, I understand that they're quote-unquote on the bubble because of their win-loss record. But if you watch this team, they do not look like a bubble team, right? Like, like I watch a lot of college basketball, and there are teams that are on the bubble right now that play like bubble teams. My UConn Huskies love them to death. They played like a bubble team on Saturday against Villanova. Couldn't get over the hump. They look like a team that should be an 8-9 seed at this point, if not a 10-11 seed. Some of the smaller schools, Utah State, San Diego State, Colorado State in the Mountain West, uh, VCU, those look like, but North Carolina does not look like a bubble team, okay? North Carolina is a team 14-7. and seven. I believe they've won seven of their last 10. Two of their losses were at Florida State and at Virginia, the two best teams in the ACC. So we're basically talking about them playing one bad game over the last probably six, seven weeks of the season. I know everybody wants to crush Louisville. I get it. It's kind of a quirky thing, especially on a day when, when that Chris Mack video comes out. But the bottom line is they're going to be fine. They're going to be a tournament team. And I think it's a reflection more of North Carolina is really, really hitting its stride as opposed to Louisville is some embarrassment, awful team that, that is going to uh, never recover from this. In terms of the Kentucky-Tennessee game, though, I do think there is an important kind of thing to think about when it comes to this game and it really goes back to what I talked about on Wednesday's episode or Thursday's episode excuse me following the Kentucky Vanderbilt game I think we're officially at a point where it's no secret right Kentucky needs to win the SEC tournament to play in the NCAA tournament I don't think I'm breaking any major news there but what I will say is I think we're officially getting to this point where Kentucky to me looks like the team that nobody wants to see in that SEC tournament in Nashville. Let me explain why. First of all, Kentucky goes to Tennessee on Saturday and frankly absolutely dominated them. Now the second half, both teams played terrible and the second half didn't make anybody feel good. 
But if you watch this game, Kentucky came out early, jumped on Tennessee, and never really let their foot off the gas. They win by 15. It was 17, 18, 19, 20 at various points throughout the the second half. And it was just a great all-around game. Davion Mintz, 15 points, five three-pointers. Isaiah Jackson, another really good game from him. Keon Brooks, a good game off the bench. And again, start to finish, they were in complete control. And I do think this was an important game, and I don't think Tennessee is playing particularly well right now. I'll get to them in a minute. But I think it's an important game because you can start to see this team figuring it out. When I watched this game, there was one team that was locked in from the beginning. There was one team that knew its rotation, that knew what guys to put in when, that knew what guys played well together, what guys to feed the ball to when things weren't going good. That was Kentucky. That is what you should have expected from Tennessee. Tennessee is the veteran team. Tennessee is the team that up until probably two or three weeks ago we thought could make a deep, deep, deep tournament run. They're the one with, with the, the, the freshmen that are even playing better than Kentucky's freshmen. They're the ones with the veterans that have been in the program for years. And you watch that game, and Kentucky looked like the team that really knew each other. And so as I said on Wednesday or Thursday's show, what I said was is that, listen, We know that this has not gone the way it was supposed to for Kentucky and John Calipari this year. But what I would also say is on top of that, never forget, in a normal season, with a normal offseason where you can get together, have the guys over your house, watch TV, watch movies, hang out by the pool, have barbecues, it still takes Kentucky about until mid-January, which is about 17, 18, 19 games into the season, to actually turn a corner and play their best basketball. If you go back to last year, they lost twice in Vegas, fall to 9-3 and three at one point, or 8-3. and three. They, they, they lose an early SEC game, and then they basically go on a roll and don't play a bad game from about middle of January until the end of March, or until the beginning of March. Well, where are we at with Kentucky? We're at now officially the 2021 game mark, and if you go back to when this run started, it was the 18-game mark against Arkansas that Kentucky finally felt like, okay, they're figuring it out. They nearly beat Arkansas. Arkansas wins, but you look at Kentucky, and I'm just telling you, man, they look like a team that I truly believe is hitting its stride at the normal time in the schedule that they would hit their stride. It's just much later in the season in a COVID year, and when I look at it, I'm just going to say it. They are officially the team that nobody wants to see in the SEC tournament. And I got a lot of flack for saying that on Twitter. Oh, my God, Torres, you're such a – what are you talking – think about it. Just think about it. Take my opinion out of it. Take your opinion out of it. Just think about it. There are five teams in the SEC that we all agree are, are at least somewhat pretty good, right? Alabama, Arkansas, LSU, Florida, and Tennessee. And, you know, you can argue Missouri's there, but they're not playing well. So, so even if you include Missouri, think about, let's just use the top five. Top five, Kentucky has already beaten the number three team in the SEC, LSU, the number four team in the SEC, Florida, and the number five team in the SEC, Tennessee. The number two team, Arkansas, came down to the final minute, the final seconds, the final possession when Jalen Tate got fouled and made two foul shots for an 81-80 win. And Alabama, the number one team in the league, Kentucky was up by four with four minutes to go at Alabama. So when I sit there and say that I believe that Kentucky is the team that can beat anybody when they get to Nashville, and people say, oh my God, what are you even talking about? They stink. I'm just telling you, there's five really good teams in this league. They've beaten three of them. Another one they had beat until the literally the last two or three seconds of the game and another one they were up by four on the road at Alabama and ended up losing that game. So I'm just telling you, Take with this information what you want, but I am telling you, point blank, bottom line, very simply, this Kentucky team is good enough to go to Nashville, to win a few games, and to compete for the tournament championship and potentially win it all. And you look at the rest of the schedule. They got A&M is postponed now, so they got Florida and Ole Miss. That's it. And I think there's a legitimate chance that if there's no more makeup games, if there's no more postponements, they could go to Nashville on what, a five, six-game winning streak? They might even add a game the end of the season. Five, six-game winning streak going to Nashville when you've already competed with everybody in the conference. I'm just telling you, watch out for this team. Last little thought on this game, then we'll take a quick break. And the last thought is this. Like, like I just think it's officially, it's just time to give up on Tennessee being the team that we thought that they would be. And I'm not talking about they're not going to make the tournament, they're going to make the tournament. I'm not talking about they can't make the Sweet 16 or the Elite 8. They can. 
But this was a team that probably about eight weeks ago we thought, okay, if they're not on that Gonzaga-Baylor level, they are right below it. And then they struggled, and then they lost some games. And then if you remember, they went to Rupp Arena and won, and Keon Johnson was a star. And I said, if they get that Keon Johnson every single game, that's a team that can get back to the level that we thought. And then they lose some games, and they get tripped up. Then, of course, they get you know beat pretty badly by Kentucky. And so I just think we're at this point now with Tennessee where people who follow college hoops day-to-day, month-to-month, week-to-week, this was always a team that you just felt like, okay, it's just going to take some time. They'll eventually get going. They'll eventually figure it out. They will eventually get to where they need to be, and it just hasn't happened. And we are now at the point where we're, there's two weeks left in the regular season. They've played 21 games overall, 15 and 6 overall, and you look at some of the losses that they have. They lost at Ole Miss where they blew a late lead. They got smoked by LSU last weekend. They got smoked by Kentucky at home. And I know some Tennessee fans would say, we didn't have Josiah Jordan-James, our glue guy. I get it. But what I am telling you is, you had him for the Ole Miss game, and you lost there. You had him at LSU last weekend, and you lost there. It can't just be one player not doing what, not being in the lineup, and that's the only reason he lost to Kentucky, and you're going to be fine. I think at this point, there's an old saying, the Bill Parcells saying, right? You are what your record says you are. I think Tennessee's a really good team, but this was a team that we thought could make a deep, deep, deep run, be a threat all season long, eat into the NCAA tournament, could play with, maybe beat anybody. And I just think we're at the point of the season where we have to admit that that team is not it. All right, this is what I'm going to do. I'm going to take a quick break, come back, talk about the the rest of the weekend in college hoops. I do want to get to kind of like a new phase of the Jalen Johnson-Duke conversation because... <laughs> it was crazy. Friday afternoon, uh, I was out with my mom. My mom was in town. We were having a few drinks with my wife. And uh, Jim Beheim kind of went off on Jalen Johnson. And then Jay Billis kind of went off on Jim Beheim. And so we had like this new layer of things in this conversation and in this in this whatever it is, you know, whatever it is, this, this argument, this debate. So I want to talk about that. We'll recap the rest of the games, but I do want to take a quick break. Thought it might be a nice place for you guys to pause. I will be back on the other side to talk Jalen Johnson. All right, everybody, I am back. Uh, Not sure if you missed me. I know I was only gone about four or five seconds, but did want to take a quick break. I do that a lot on these long, drawn-out Sunday episodes. I know it's a lot to listen to a guy talk to himself for 25, 30, 40 minutes, whatever the show ends up being. But I do want to wrap the show. I do kind of want to talk about one other big topic. The story that I feel like, frankly, is probably the single biggest story in college basketball over the last week. And it's a story that continues to take on new layers. It is, of course, what happened with Jalen Johnson at Duke. And if the story really ended last week when Jalen Johnson decided to quit the team at Duke, and he did quit, we'll get into it in a minute, I I wouldn't be talking about it now. But there have been new layers. Jim Beheim commented on it. Jay Billis commented on Jim Beheim's comments. And the more and more and more that I look at this situation, I realize that this is a, a bigger story than just a quit, a kid leaving a basketball team in the middle of the season. It, it, to me, I think speaks to something important about us as a society, how we handle news, how we process news, etc. And I kind of want to break it down. And I think most of you listening, you probably know exactly where I'm going to start, and that's with some of the details, and I know you guys know the details, but just as a quick reminder, Jalen Johnson was five-star recruit, came into Duke this year, largely considered to be the most talented player from an NBA draft perspective in the Duke basketball program, a player that many believe has lottery potential, but never really lived up to it. Some of it not his fault. It's been a start-stop year at Duke. Coach K was trying to cancel the season. Um, And even when they were playing, the kid was hurt. Had a foot injury, missed a couple games. And frankly, there were a lot of people that were surprised that he even decided to come back at all this season. But he did come back, played a few more games. And uh, as the season wore on, he just wasn't very effective. He wasn't playing well. His minutes were decreased. Coach K had kind of an interesting, weird, bizarre comment about, um, you know, about him not the physicality of the game was too much for him. And that's why he wasn't playing. And so last Monday, a week ago from when you're listening to this, Jalen Johnson decided to leave the Duke program. And if that was where the story ended, you guys know where I stand on this. Not a big deal. Guys leave stuff all the time. I don't have to like it. I don't have to love it. But when it comes to the millions of dollars at stake, I understand it. 
Jalen Johnson is the only person that knows if he is healthy enough to keep playing or not. And if he does not feel that he is healthy enough and that millions of dollars are at stake in the future, then don't play. I can't blame you. I can't criticize you. I can question how injured you are, and I'm not even doing that. If he believes that this is the best decision for him, then who am I to say that he is wrong for doing that, for deciding not to play college basketball anymore? Where I had the issue was, was a couple things. First of all, let's not call it opting out because he's not opting out. Opting out was a term that was made before the season for players who did not feel healthy enough or feel safe enough to play in a pandemic. Avery Bradley decided to opt out of the NBA bubble because he had a young daughter with underlying health conditions. He didn't feel safe going to the bubble and traveling. Uh, College football players opted out. NFL players opted out. This was quitting. And to take it a step further, Beyond that, let's not forget, he didn't just decide, I'm not playing basketball anymore. He packed up his dorm, he packed up his locker, and he left. That, to me, is quitting. Doesn't have to be complicated, doesn't have to be a hot take, doesn't have to be a controversy, doesn't have to be me attacking anybody. It's just a fact. That kid quit. It's okay. The world will will go on. Duke will still get good basketball players in the future. They will be fine. But this was not opting out. It was quitting. There was a better way to handle it. In my opinion, there's three weeks left in the season. Even if you don't feel safe playing, stick around, support your teammates, stand on the sidelines, wave a towel. No different, by the way, than what Terrence Clark is doing at Kentucky, the kid who has been hurt since Christmas time. He could have left. He could have quote-unquote opted out. He could have left campus, but he stuck around. He's been a good trooper. He's been a good teammate. I see him on the sideline waving a towel, and there's no reason that Jalen Johnson couldn't do the same. So why am I bringing this up now, since this was obviously a topic from a few days ago? It's because we got a bunch of new layers to it uh, over the course of the weekend. And it was kind of crazy. I think I mentioned this off the top, but I was out on Friday. My mom was in town visiting her, myself, my wife. We're out to lunch. We're having a good time. And I'm kind of looking at my phone. I'm having a few drinks. I'm not going to tweet or anything like that. But I see that Jim Beheim has decided to comment on Jalen Johnson, and that Jay Billis has then commented on Jim Beheim's comments about Jalen Johnson. So you got all that. Talk about triple J's, huh? Jalen Johnson quits. Jim Beheim comments. Jay Billis comments on Jim Beheim's comments. So before we get into it, first, I want to kind of talk. I just want to set up the context so you guys understand. So first, here are Jim's Be- Jim Beheim's comments on Jalen Johnson deciding to leave the Duke basketball program. Here's Jim Beheim. That guy was hurting them, so they actually are much better now without him. He was just doing some things and keeping other people from playing that are good. They've had two monster wins since he's opted out, and they're playing better. They're playing good basketball. They've got very good talent. You knew they were going to play out of this thing, and now they're playing well. Every game we play is a difficult game, a great challenge, and we look forward to it. Okay, uh, a couple of things. One, I am not a fan of, of a coach kind of, talking about another team's players like like I'm just gonna say it I don't think Jim Beheim is necessarily wrong which we'll get into in a minute um but I you know listen I don't think I'm, I'm not a big fan of him commenting on other players as Jay Billis will later attest to this is not the first time that he made that he has done stuff like this when James Akinjo the current Arizona point guard left Georgetown Jim Beheim came out he said he didn't like that the team was better without him so this isn't the first time that he's done it I do think Jim Beheim has a big mouth. I do think that he probably doesn't care at this point in his career. He's going to say what he wants to say. But as a buddy of mine, JT, who listens to this show, JT, shout out to you, man. He sent me a DM, and he's right on point, is that at some point, Jim Beheim's mouth is going to cost him his job because he is going to cross a line that he can't then uncross. That was Jim Beheim's comments. Didn't like them, but I don't think that I was like appalled by them because the bottom line is that Duke did play its best game of the season immediately after Jalen Johnson left the team. Here's the issue. On top of Jim Beheim's comments were Jay Billis's comments. And so Jay Billis comes out, and I'm not gonna I'm not gonna read the whole thing because it was about a two, two and a half minute comment, but these are the parts that that Jay Billis paraphrased on his own Twitter feed. So I'm essentially quoting Jay Billis's Twitter feed. First, he, he and I should backtrack in the comments. He says, look, Jim Beheim has done this before. I don't like this. And then this is where Jay Billis really responds to Jim Beheim. This is what he says. Jalen Johnson does not have a camp, people in his ear, or a posse. He has a family. 
He has a mother and a father helping him with his best interests in mind, making decisions. We can differ with the decision, but the undertones of the criticism are very concerning. Oh, boy. Let me peel back some layers here. First of all, the camp posse all that comment comes from Jeff Goodman, a really good reporter, a guy that I like, saying that uh, uh, Jalen Johnson's camp was not happy with Coach K. Um, I don't ever, I have never seen the word posse used. I have not heard people in his ear used directly to, to Jalen Johnson. But what I would tell you is, I do find it really funny that Jay Billis is all of a sudden on this stance. Okay, you want to criticize Jim Beheim like I just did for talking about somebody else's players? That's fine. But I do find it interesting that Jay Billis, the guy that is Mr. Anti-NCAA, Mr. These Aren't Amateurs, they don't, they are not amateurs, let's pay them, let's, they're, they're, they're workers, now all of a sudden he's playing dumb when it comes to players having a camp or someone in their ear because every player has an agent in their ear. And so when he says, when, when Jeff Goodman says his camp or a play, someone in his ear, what he is saying is what I've told you quite a bit. Every major player, every marquee player, their parents, their uncle, their brother or sister, somebody is probably talking to an agent basically from the time they emerge as a legitimate NBA draft prospect. Might be 15, might be 16, might be 18, might be 19. But the idea that a family does not have outside consultation from an agent is absolutely preposterous. So I find it hysterical that Jay Billis, all, Mr. NCAA, all of a sudden has decided, oh, what do you mean, camp? That's offensive. I don't like that tone. Um, why? It's the truth. We all know these kids have agents. That's not a secret. That's not anything that doesn't make sense. And then this preposterous idea that uh, the undertones are, are uncomfortable for me. Give me a break. And this is what I want to get into, and this is why I brought this topic back up. I am so tired of any time anyone criticizes anyone for anything, it becomes sexist, racist, homophobic. Whatever just happened to people... Like, this is what this Jalen Johnson drama, controversy, whatever made me realize. We are now officially at a point where you cannot criticize anyone for anything. That is the point that we're at. Because to me, this doesn't even feel like it should still be a story. First of all, Jim Bayham's allowed to have his opinion. Jay Bill is allowed to have theirs. But to me, this doesn't feel like a story. It doesn't feel to me like it's controversial to say that Jalen Johnson quit. Now, if he, if I said Jalen Johnson is faking an injury to get out of playing at Duke, I don't believe that for the record for somebody swooping in trying to steal a quote from me. I do not believe that Jalen Johnson is faking an injury. But for somebody, if I had come out and said, I believe Jalen Johnson is faking an injury, that is controversial. That is maybe taking it a step too far. But to say that he quit and that all of a sudden you are offensive, you are mean, you're being disrespectful to the kid, you're being disrespectful to the family, there are undertones there. Stop it. When did we become this way as a society that nobody can criticize anyone for anything? It doesn't even make sense to me. Like I said, I don't even know why this is a controversy. It's not a controversy. It's a factual statement. He quit. He was part of the team. He opted into the season. He played games. He got injured. He came back from the injury and believed he was healthy. And when his playing time went down, he decided to leave the team. He quit. Was he really injured? I do not know. Only Jalen Johnson knows. But he quit. He packed up his locker. He left. That is quitting. That is the definition of quitting. When you start something and you don't finish it, and not only do you not finish it, you don't stick around, you don't stay with your teammates, you don't stay in the dorms, that's quitting. And so to me, like this Jay Billis thing, and, and I think Jay Billis is incredibly smart, right? I, I'm not, this isn't like attacking Jay Billis, but this entire quote-unquote controversy just kind of really just struck me as we now officially live in a world where you can't say anything about anybody without it being offensive, without it being rude, without it being controversial. This is not controversial. The kid quit. Doesn't make him a bad person. As I've said since Wednesday, I don't even know if it's the wrong decision. It probably is the right decision because he certainly wasn't helping his draft stock. He probably wasn't 100% healthy, and it was probably for the best for him to decide to leave Duke. But let's stop with this. It's controversial. Oh, my God. Torres said he quit, or John Rothstein said he quit, or Seth Greenberg said he quit. 
That's not controversial. That's a fact. That's what happened. That's not even an opinion. That is exactly what happened. The season started. He did not complete it. He is not there. That is quitting. By the way, you know something else that Jay Billis said? Well, they're not better without him. Well, you see the game Saturday night, Jay? And I think he did because Jay Billis called the game. But Duke went ahead and beat Virginia on Saturday night. And so, first of all, shout out to Duke. I know I've, I've been, listen, I'm going to call a spade a spade. I've been critical as you know what a Coach K, especially this season, especially in a year where, um, you know, especially in a year when he tried to get college basketball canceled, especially in a year where he didn't care about his players' mental health. his physical, Like, I've been critical of Coach K, but credit to him for rallying the troops and credit to him because it's very clear that this team is better without Jalen Johnson. They beat Virginia on Saturday, and I think what I saw on Saturday night, they just play better as a team without the kid. And by the way, you can go back to the first episode I ever talked about Duke on, which was when they lost to Michigan State in the Champions Classic in the first week of December, and you know what I said? I said that Duke, as a team, their two best players, Matt Hurt and Jalen Johnson, were the same guy. Best around the basket, can't create off the dribble, can't create for themselves, um catch and shoot, whatever, and that they were playing better when Jalen Johnson got hurt this year, and they're playing better now. Again, not a controversial statement. They beat Virginia, and I think that this is definitively a better team without Jalen Johnson. Again, doesn't make him a bad person. I would also say there was another freshman named Jamin Brakefield, who every time I saw him, I thought he was awesome, and he never got a legitimate shot in large part to get Jalen Johnson minutes. He played really well against Virginia as well. 11 points, Duke wins. But I'm just telling you, man, is that they're a better team without him. And so I know that everything's a hot take and we have to do whatever. I, I Look, Duke's still not a tournament team. Um, I still think they have, what, three games, four games left in the regular season. All are against fringe tournament teams. Syracuse and Louisville this week, both at home, then at Georgia Tech, at UNC. I would say that at the very least they have to go 3-1 and one and probably win a couple conference tournament games at that point I don't think they're going to go 4-0 if they go 4-0 maybe they can win one less game they basically have to win every single regular season game and probably two or three conference tournament games to make the NCAA tournament so I still don't think this is a tournament team but I do think that we can definitively say and it's not controversial and it's not a take that this team is better without Jalen Johnson as they pick up the win couple other results from College Hoops. We'll get out of here. Don't want to spend too much more time. I've done enough yelling and screaming for the day. A uh, couple games. Just first of all, Illinois, I talked about them a little bit earlier. They're a national championship contender, okay? Um, Baylor, Gonzaga, Michigan, Ohio State. I think Illinois is right there. They go to Minnesota and win 94-63, 31-point win. Minnesota has been really good at home this year. That's why it was so fascinating to see this result. Minnesota had beaten Michigan at home. They're the only team that's beaten Michigan so far. And they beat Ohio State at home. Illinois wins by 30 there. They're playing as well as anybody. Quick shout out to the Arizona Wildcats. They go on the road and beat USC, the top team in the Pac-12, 81-72. Only major takeaway there is that if you look at Arizona's roster, almost everybody that plays is basically a freshman or a sophomore. Now, they have a lot of international players. Those guys can always pursue professional options, and you never know in the climate that we live in if anyone will pursue professional options, you know, stateside NBA draft. They have a good player named James James Akinjo, who I just mentioned. So I'm always hesitant to say, this team will be amazing next year because you don't know who's coming back and who isn't. But they don't have anybody that really strikes me as a high-level NBA draft prospect. They have a wing named Ben Matherin, who I think might be able to be a second-round pick next year. But these are not guys that are going to be high NBA draft picks. And so I do think Arizona if they return intact, which I believe that they can, I think we're talking about a potential NC, uh, a potential top 10 team coming into next season. Of course, some of that depends on the future of the program. Uh, do NCAA sanctions come down? Is Sean Miller there? Uh, are they eligible for the NCAA tournament? Is there any kind of self-imposed ban? I do not know. But assuming that they're tournament eligible and assuming they get back who I think they'll get back, this is a really good team going into next year. Finally, UConn at Villanova. No big takeaway from this one. Villanova's the best team in the Big East outside of maybe Creighton. They beat my UConn Huskies 68-60. UConn, their best player, James Booknight, started out really well. uh, Had, I think, like 17, 18 points or something like that in the first half. 
they just ran out of juice, man. They just ran out of juice. And so I know I was hyping UConn on the last episode, but I also said that they still got to go through Nova, and they just didn't have enough firepower. Again, doesn't seem to me that there is any big major takeaway from this game. Villanova was just simply the better team. Still think UConn gets in the tournament. Still think they'll be a dangerous 8-9-10 seed. But yeah, they uh, they lose that game. All right. I think that's it for today's Aaron Torres Sports Podcast. First of all, want to again thank our sponsor, Bracket Fanatics. They'll be with us here through the end of March Madness. And again, if you are interested in broadcasting on this show or advertising on this show, reach out to me, Aaron Torres Podcast Questions at gmail.com. Uh, also, I think KSR Ads is the other one. That's Maria from KSR. She'll help get us set up. Uh, but yeah, if you're interested in reaching a, a sweet little audience here come tournament time, Reach out to me, Aaron Torres, podcast questions at gmail.com or KSR ads. We'll get you rolling. But that's it. I want to thank you guys for listening. If you are not subscribed, again, we are going to do a few episodes on the KSR feed here leading into the NCAA tournament. Make sure that you are subscribed. iTunes, the podcast, Addict App, Podbean, Spotify, TuneIn Radio, wherever you listen to podcasts, make sure that you are subscribed to the Aaron Torres Sports Podcast. Make sure to rate and review the show. Go ahead, give us a quick five stars. Let us know what you like, what you don't like, all that good stuff. Make sure you're following on social media at Aaron underscore Torres on Instagram or on Twitter at Aaron Torres Pod on Insta. That one is on Instagram. Uh, I've mentioned it before, but I got a YouTube page where I post a lot of clips from this show. It is popping, people, so make sure to follow me there. But that is all for today's show. Shout out to Torrent Craig. Shout out to Rachel Who Hates My Voice. I will be back on Wednesday with another episode of the podcast.